It is a delight to be with you again today. I was uh, thrilled when uh, your pastor asked me to fill in so he could participate in a wedding out of town this weekend. I hope you know your church's reputation is very strong and people are excited about your pastor and your staff and all that God is doing in your congregation. And I am honored and thankful to participate today. Today, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. The scripture says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Ultimately amazed, they ask, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. A number of years ago, another pastor and I were invited to go to Brazil to lead a pastor's conference. The other pastor had grown up in Brazil. Portuguese was his native language. He still had family there. We completed the conference, and then he had scheduled an afternoon to go visit his family in a small community, probably two hours outside of Sao Paulo. We arrived and the family was delighted to see them, to see him and interact with him. But I noticed that instead of interacting with him, he felt an obligation to introduce me and then to be the translator for me. And so instead of visiting with his family, he was just translating for me and it was just small talk that I was making. So I said to him, it's a beautiful afternoon. I noticed there's a park just uh, uh, across the street, a little bit down the, the road there. I said, why don't I go and spend time there? And You spend time engaging your family. And I excused myself. I went to the park, and it was a, a small community. And there was a small park there, and I saw there was a little stage being set up when I, when I arrived. And uh, I saw some gentlemen putting out folding chairs, put up probably 60 folding chairs, and it was evident there was going to be some kind of program in, in a few moments. Then some people came to the stage, and there was an elderly man who was standing very erect, had a military uniform on, and they made a presentation to him, 
And I took one of the seats out in the congregation, and so they gave him a standing ovation. And I looked at the guy who was just well, three or four chairs from me, and it was like, you're, you're not standing. So I immediately stood and applauded. And then people began saying, and it sounded like they were cheering, A, A, A. And so I began cheering as well, you know, because I wanted to be able to participate When it was over, the man who was seated near me, he came and he gave me a high five and I gave him a high five back. Didn't have a clue about what was happening, but I participated. On the plane ride home, I was describing it to the other pastor, a native of Brazil, and I said, I think it was some kind of a a war hero maybe they were honoring from your community and, and he said, then he said, oh, I know what it is. He says, had nothing to do with the military at all. He says, our small community won a soccer match 50-some years ago against a larger team, and every year on the day, uh, the date of that, they celebrate it by having a a, a, a sort of a, a, a celebration honoring. And the man you saw was the last living participant in that soccer match. I said, well, why did he wear the military uniform? He says, he does it every year because he proves he can still get into it. You know? Now, I attended. I participated. But I didn't have a clue what they were celebrating. Today is Pentecost Sunday. We're here, we're singing hymns, we're recognize the tradition and assumptions that go with it. But do we understand it, or are we just sort of like I was at that event in Brazil? Just going along to get along. What happened the day of Pentecost? What did it mean? Today, let's briefly look at the day of Pentecost and briefly look at those answers of, what happened and what it, did it mean, and then maybe some reasons why we do not experience something still like that in our life today. There are, you've heard of the eight wonders of the world. There are eight key events, not, not the totality of Scripture, but eight key events in understanding the full story of the Bible. Remember, the Bible is One story, beginning to end, the story of God, his movement among his people. First, the story of creation, which God reveals his character. Then then Noah and the flood, which is is about God's justice. Then God reveals himself to Abraham, which describes God's plan for his people. Then Moses and the Passover, And that reveals God's plan of redemption. Then in the New Testament, the birth of Jesus, where we see God becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us. We have the crucifixion, where Jesus dying for us explains what God gave for us that we might have everlasting life. And then the resurrection, which tells us of the nature of God that he is eternal and he desires the same for us to have eternal life. And then the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost helps us understand 
how God works in our life. Now, what happened? For the 40 days following the resurrection, Jesus met with his disciples and taught with them. And then after he ascended, he gave his disciples and the other followers instructions to dwell in Jerusalem and wait for the gift that the Father had promised. On the tenth day of their waiting, and during that time they apparently prayed together and they also chose the twelfth uh, apostle to take Judas's place, but as they were praying on that twelfth day, they were in an upper room. It was a room that was maybe a large house with an upstairs or more than likely it was a, it was a, a business that the, there was a large hall. It was called the upper room and, and they had gathered there and then some unusual things began to happen. Everyone in the room heard a wind blowing, yet they did not see any evidence of the wind. There was just the sound. They saw fire, the flickering of flames, yet nothing burned. And then they began to speak in other languages or other tongues. We don't know whether it was other known languages or unknown. The scripture does not say we are left to not really focus on that because that's not the point of the story. And as as they were all talking at once and people outside began to hear, the people on the outside came from all portions of the Roman Empire. They were Jews who came home for one of these three important festivals. There were many more festivals than that, but there were three that you tried to come home to. And this may have been the best attended because it was when the, when the climate was a little bit warmer. And when they heard all of the noise, they heard it in their own language. There was a miracle that took place either in the speaking or the hearing. We do not know what, but God, God allowed them each to hear in their own language. One of them, apparently, maybe more of them even said, what does this mean? And someone says, oh, they're drunk. And then Simon Peter preaches a gospel message. And he tells the story of how God worked in the Old Testament. And then he tells the story of Jesus. Now, that's what happened. But what did it mean? The meaning is very simple. The presence of God became real in the lives of the believers and followers. And so that they could have the power of God to accomplish his purpose for their life. God granted them power. Not the power to do whatever they wanted to do. Not the power to accomplish whatever they had dreams of, but it was the power to accomplish God's purpose among his people for the kingdom. It was investing in them his power, but it was also investing in them his presence. 
It was so that they would be assured that God was with them. So they would have evidence that when they were living and not knowing for sure what to do next, that they would know that the presence of God was with them. Jesus had told them that the Father would send a comforter, another one, an advocate for them who would teach them all that he had taught them and be with them for the future. And that's what the day of Pentecost was about. It was about God's power to accomplish his purpose. It was about God's presence to be with the disciples so they could have confidence and courage to go ahead and do whatever needed to be done. And then you read in the rest of the book of Acts what God is doing among ordinary people. People just like us who had been filled with the Spirit of God. They were able to proclaim truth in such a way that they saw many people come to faith in Christ. They saw changes in their culture. They saw change in the lives of friends and neighbors. They were empowered and had confidence. Now, the scripture makes it clear that that promise of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is for us all. It wasn't just for this first generation. It was so that you and I could have the power and the presence of God, the power to accomplish his purpose, the presence and the confidence and the assurance that we could do those things. But let's be honest. Most of us don't sense that. Because we feel overwhelmed, and especially now, overwhelmed by the circumstances of our world. And we feel powerless as if we're unable to do anything. And we do not lack, we lack confidence and we lack the courage. Why is it? Well, we've looked at what happened and what it meant briefly. Let's look at two or three, maybe four reasons why we don't have the same confidence and the power that we do today, that we should today. One reason is we so associate the presence or the power of God with emotion. We don't sense the presence of God unless we emotionally feel that, and as a result, we limit God's presence in our life. Now, God does reveal himself occasionally or frequently maybe even through through our emotions but there are times we just don't feel it and we assume since we don't feel it that therefore God isn't with us and and we don't do what we ought to do we don't have the confidence to do it God often reveals himself through reason through silence through our means of discovering truth, not just through emotion. A number of years ago, a gentleman who I served as his pastor was telling me about a recent hospital experience that he had had. He was a very faithful man, 
He went to the hospital thinking he would be there two or three days, be released. But complications developed and he was there over a month. He said during that month he became very discouraged. He said, I began to wonder, where is God? He said, I would pray. And I often, in prior to coming to the hospital, I felt I could sense the presence of God within me, and I didn't. And he said, it was as if I was totally empty. And he said, I was so discouraged. And he said, one day, probably in about the third week, a gentleman came by to see him, and he says, I opened up and told him how I felt. And he says, well, let's talk about it. He said, now, you have some Christian nurses you've told me about here. And he was in a Catholic hospital, and he said, y yes, I have some Christian nurses. And he says, don't they take care of your needs? Yeah. He says, you have a, a sister who comes in, who, uh, one of the nuns who comes in, and, and she speaks to you each day and says, yes, says, do you not feel the presence of God? He says, no, I don't. He says, but do you believe, or you, do you really think that, when she speaks to you out of Scripture, seeks to give you encouragement, says, well, I guess she is. He says, and you've told me that one of your physicians you know is a Christian, says, don't you think that maybe God is using all of these events and all of these people in your life to tell you I'm here with you and you are waiting for an emotion, a feeling? Can you not, by faith, trust that God is active in your life whether you feel it or not? He said it was an eye-opening experience for him to recognize that by living by faith is not always waiting for the next experience or the next emotion or the next surge of feeling in your life. It is that awareness that God is present. And by faith you accept it. By faith we accept that the power of the Holy Spirit is with us today. We may not see the same signs or the same wonders that they did then. But we can accept by the truth of the gospel. The power of Pentecost is still real and among us today. Don't just wait for the emotion. God may give you that emotion, or he may never. But God is present and active in our lives. There's a second reason. And that second reason is when there is unconfessed sin in our life. When there is unconfessed sin, we are consciously blocking God out. Because part of Part of humanity, redeemed humanity's response to the loving God is to acknowledge who we are. We're sinners. And when we acknowledge who he is, he is the Holy One, then that openness allows us to experience the presence of God. Last week we were traveling and went to see some friends and some family and friends in Missouri and we were in a fast food restaurant and there was a child there who uh, 
was illustrating unconfessed sin. I don't know what has happened, but his father had said to the young man, who was about four or five, stop it. Apparently he didn't stop it. There was, you know, that father and son dialogue going back and forth, you know. And he said to the young boy, didn't you hear what I said? And the boy said, no. Well, everybody else in the fast food restaurant heard it, you know. But he chose not to engage what his father was telling him. Why? Because he was trying to hide something. It is when we confess our sins to God that we often are great, more aware of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, even in worship. When we sit in worship knowing that God is convicting us of sin and we choose to block that out, we often never feel the presence or sense the presence of God working in the life of the church and we've just attended a worship service and not have sensed that God was present at all. But he's here. It's important for us to confess our sin. The third reason is we often isolate ourselves from others. Now, by isolate, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying where we live as a hermit. No, most of us interact with people and never engage anyone. We're friendly with everyone and have no friends. You know what I mean, where we never really impact others. But on the day of Pentecost, God's Spirit was known among the people who were there. It It is when you and I are in true fellowship and connect with other people that we are often aware of the power of God in our life. But when we isolate, even though, again, we may use all of the right words, but we are never vulnerable. We never share our needs with one another. We always act like we're totally confident and competent to handle any situation, and we don't need your help, thank you. And when we do that to other Christians... We limit the Spirit of God in our life. None of us, none of us are perfect vessels for the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit and I have the Holy Spirit in my life, I don't have the same gifts that you have. But when the body of Christ come together, and use their resources together for the glory of God and the good of humanity, then we often are more aware of the power of God in our life. You see, the Holy Spirit works among us. Us. That's the key word. Just not in my life, but in your life. And what I'm missing in my life, God through His Spirit, can teach me, and when we work together, that's why Christian fellowship is so important. That's why worship is so important. I know in the last two years we've had 
we've had an interruption to the normal worship process. And it's making a difference in our life in a negative way. When we gather here and you gather with your brothers and sisters on Sunday, you not only honor God, but you can experience the power and the presence of God that will give you his power to accomplish his purpose, give you his presence to give you confidence. The day of Pentecost allowed the church to focus primarily on Jesus. Jesus told them that the Holy Spirit would do that. He says, I will send you one who will, who will teach you all things that I've said to you. I will send you the one who will be the spirit of truth. And it is as the body of Christ, as we come and focus on Christ, connecting with our brothers and sisters, confessing our sin, and not depending on our emotions, we free the Holy Spirit to accomplish His purpose in our lives. Let us pray. Father, the story of the day of Pentecost at times seems unreal to us because we don't find it true in our life today. And then we recognize what we're doing, Lord. It's not that you are not present, but we are ignoring you. We're hiding through unconfessed sin. We're not connecting with your people. We do not worship you, and yet we want the day of Pentecost to occur over and over again. You're willing. But Father, today we confess our sin. We confess our sin to you. We can confess our lack of fellowship. We confess our lack of worship. And Father, and now we receive your spirit. So we can accomplish your purpose in life. We receive your spirit so we can be confident and be reassured of your presence daily. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.